Welcome to the Simplify Jesus Podcast. We're your hosts, Matt Gunter and Bill Allen, and together we are breaking barriers through communication. Hello, hello, and welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Simplify Jesus, where we are breaking barriers through communication. Today, we're going to be going over numbers 13 through 20, as promised last week. Last week, we, we looked at the setup of the nation of Israel and the way that all kind of started. The counting of military men, setting apart of the Levites as God's portion, which kind of sets them apart as, as special and just there to serve him. He doesn't seem to be letting them do much of anything, <laughs> as of right now, anyway. Yeah, yeah. it'll come, but not yeah. yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, of course, he assigned his duties to different groups and identified 70 different leaders to help Moses lead the nation. Um, and this is, we decided this is different than the 70 leaders that he set apart to help judge and help do all that, right? Yeah, yeah. We think more than likely this is a different group. The other group, it was a little earlier in the story, right, right as it got out of Egypt. And it looks like this was in addition to that. Gotcha. So this is, yeah, that was in... That was because of his father-in-law's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Said, "Hey, you need some help. Pick some people." <laughs> yeah. um, and this time, God said, "You need seventy leaders mm-hmm. to help with this." And and Moses picked them. So we're going to move on from there to see what happens uh, from here with the land of milk and honey, as it's called. <laughs> That's right. So once the nation was set up and they had the structure there, God called on Moses to send scouts to the land of Canaan. Um, which also known as the promised land, like you said, is known as the land flowing with milk and honey, uh, which is just to say it's very fertile land, good for growing crops and all that kind of stuff. And so Moses picked out 12 men. He picked out one from each of the tribes, except the Levites. It's numbers 13, 17 through 20. When Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way to the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was in the season for first ripe grapes. That is a good pep talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, it really is. It really is. That's a sign of a great leader is if you can give a good pep talk, right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they went out and they followed all of Moses' uh, instructions and checked out the land, went all throughout, and they spent 40 days in in this new promised land, the land that God has promised to give them. And just to recap why it's called the promised land, if you go back to our episodes about Abraham, God promised to give Abraham, all the land that he was living in, which was Canaan, they left during the days of Joseph and moved to Egypt. And so now this is God fulfilling that promise, bringing them back to the promised land. So that's why they call it the promised land. Hmm. Um, And we, you know, we take that and we turn it into a noun. That's interesting. It's the (laughs) promised land, but Mm -hmm. we call it the promised land. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Um, Just caught that. And and I wanted to also add, um, hang on to that 40 days. That's going to come back into play later on at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. Yeah. Four, 40 is actually a very important number throughout the Bible. That's a one of the coolest things. I'm going to nerd out here for just a minute because <laughs> I love numbers. Here comes the engineer. Here comes the engineer. But one of the coolest things to see in the Bible throughout is how there are certain numbers that stick out. So like, for example, here, 12 men were chosen to go scout out the land. There are 12 tribes of Israel. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. 
And so you see that number throughout. You also see the number 40. Uh, it's here. Uh, we're going to talk about how that applies to Moses here in a minute um, and, and the nation of Israel. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness as well. Really interesting how there are some common themes with numbers there. I don't think that was an accident. No, I don't either. So they spent 40 days in the land. And when they come back, they brought back some fruit and a bunch of details and stories about how great this land is. They said uh, that the cluster of grapes that they brought back was so big that they had to put it on a pole uh, between two men and carry it back. You know, I, when, when I think of a cluster of grapes, I think of like the little one pound bag you get from HEB. And I'm like, how, you know, I can hold it with two fingers. <laughs> Hard to imagine what cluster of grapes they're talking about. This that requires two men to carry it on a pole. That's the level of produce we're talking about here. Um, you know, and and I think it's funny because I was in my um, in my morning Bible study this morning. Mm-hmm. I was reminded about how much longer people live lived back then. Mm. And then you look at this and you say, okay, so people are living longer. Grapes are so so much bigger, <laughs> right? You're right. And, and if that's the case, I'm sure there's other fruit that is so much bigger and, and, you know, it just seems like over time, um, things have gotten lesser for Hmm. lack of a better word. We're, we're not living as long. Our fruits and vegetables are are smaller. And and frankly, sometimes I would dare say scarce. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, it, it is. It, it makes you wonder, you know, one of the things that I appreciate most about where we live is that there is a lot of the land that is still kind of natural untouched. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of green space, the hill country as a whole. Granted, I live in New Braunfels. That is definitely, you know, developed and all of that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not against any of that, but there is something really spectacular about areas that haven't been touched and, and haven't been developed for the sake of advancement and convenience. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's cool to think about like, man, that must've been crazy. We don't ever see that today. Right. Um, there's there's been some some degradation over time, probably. Yeah. Um, now people have tried to synthesize it or crossbreed or you know make things bigger and better, um, but it was just natural back then. Yeah, yeah, that's just how it came. Yeah. And so another thing they said when they came back is they confirmed that the land was quote unquote flowing with milk and honey, and and like I said, that just means that the land was very fertile, uh, that you know, uh, crops would do well there, that livestock, the grass was green, um, that they would survive there. That that would be really, really good land to live on. And, you know, back then they didn't have HEB down the street. So (laughs) it was, you know, that's important. It's important that you have good land to settle in and take care of. That's a grocery store for you non-Texans out there. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Should (laughs) Should probably clarify that. But there was a catch. There was one thing they picked up on that was a detractor from and they said the cities were strong and fortified and the people appeared to be really big and strong and would be tough to battle. And they even made this claim that there were giants among them, the sons of Anak, which there's not a whole lot of outside of the Bible history about them, but some people think that maybe they were like even seven to nine feet tall, that these were really, really big guys, um, a giant, so to speak. So now were these these guys that were saying this, were they exaggerating because they were scared or, or was this factual? I think it was factual. You know, in fact, a little bit down the road when we get to, um, when they enter the promised land with Joshua, we see, you know, some of the strong fortified cities they take down like Jericho and, and some of the battles they fight. So this is factual information, but it was taken, I guess it was viewed through human eyes and not through 
hey, God's on our side. So right. what do we have to fear, right? Which is what we're going to see here in just a second. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the bad report of the fortified cities and the people who were giants, all that outweighed the good of what the land was and the opportunity there in the minds of 10 of the 12 scouts. There were only two men that came back and said, no, we need to go after this. It's time to go. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. And they stood tall. They, even in the face of opposition from the other 10 and from eventually the community, they said, no, this is what God has called us to. We need to go in. And so the Israelites as a whole said, you know what? We're not, we're not interested. This is going to be tough. This is going to be difficult. And they were saying, we wish we could just go back to Egypt, right? We, and, and we've seen this before when they first came out and Pharaoh's army was chasing after them. What was their response? Well, why can't we just go back to Egypt? We had food there. We had shelter. We had all of these things. And here again, as soon as they butt up against opposition and granted big opposition, I'll give them that. Whenever they meet with conflict, they forget about where they've come from. Like, well, we could just go back. We could be comfortable. That's where they find themselves here. I heard something just the other day, read it, or I don't know, saw it on a reel or something. I don't know, but it was an interesting point. It said the biggest addiction most people have in America is not alcohol or drugs Mm -hmm. or any of those other horrible addictions that people can get caught up in. Mm -hmm. The biggest addiction that we have is comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting because it's true. I don't want to lose my comforts. I right. love what I've got. And, and sometimes when I'm just the slightest bit uncomfortable, oh, I see it in my kids all the time. It hurts. No, it doesn't. You're just uncomfortable. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Nothing's broken. You're good. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm the same way. It, and, and so many of us are, as soon as things get uncomfortable, it's, we treat it almost as if it's painful or, or just agonizing. Yeah. It's, it's sad. Yeah. And, and I think that's, we look at the advancements and, and all that stuff that we were talking, you mentioned the, um, the vegetation, how our lives are shorter and all that stuff. And, and I think you can tie those two things together, right? We're always trying to advance technology so that we've got bigger and better things so that we've got, an easier life ahead that we, we try to make things easier all the time. And I think it's made us so comfortable where we're at that we're, we stop, we stop really pushing forward mm-hmm. um, a lot of times and, and we're not willing to take on opposition. And so that's why when you see the people that make it up to the very top and, and do those things, a lot of times their story is all focused on all of the hurdles they had to cross. Oh my goodness. That was crazy. That was awesome. The, you know, how they were able to take those on and we've all got that in us, but we often trade progressing and, and being the best that we can be for for being comfortable and, and, you know, kind of keeping the status quo, so to speak. And so that's, I mean, it happens a lot. And, and that's, I mean, that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, and they were slaves in Egypt. But that's what they knew. That's what was comfortable. It wasn't the big unknown. My morning devotional is from Jordan Rayner. Um, mm. he, he's the author of a book Matt and I both read called Redeeming Your Time. Uh, he's got The Word Before Work, which is a, a fantastic book. If any of you are looking for a good devotional that, that applies to your work, too, and what God really calls us to. In one of the, the days that I read it, he talked about we have to get out of our comfort zone yeah. to progress. 
we have to push ourselves every day if we're going to to continue to move forward. Yeah. Because if we stay in our comfort zone, we're just going to do what's easy. That's right. And that's not what God called us to do, to go forth and multiply, to take care of what he created. We're called to help him with his creation yeah. and help to continue it, um, to help him build it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was a, a thing in here just the other day um, that said, oh, it was actually yesterday's, I think. God chose human beings before the fall to cultivate the first creation. And after the fall, he called us to use our work to restore creation in preparation for his eternal kingdom. Hmm. Um, He says, he was actually quoting somebody else that says, you are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Work in light of that hope today. Hmm. So whatever we're doing, we are working towards the new world, the new heaven, the new earth, right? So whatever we're doing today is what God called us to do, to build on to that. And we can't do it by staying in our comfort zones. Right, right. And so you you look at how God gave us that drive. He gave us that command from the very beginning at creation to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And and we still have that call on us today, you know, thousands of years later, right? And so you can imagine when the Israelites are pushing back and saying, no, maybe I want to go back to my old comfort zone where I used to be. Uh, He was not happy about Mm. this. Um, He was not happy about the fear that they had because it shows a lack of trust in him and who he is. You know, God performed all these great signs, all the plagues and uh, the Passover and led them out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea. He's taking care of them all this time in the wilderness, which we're probably a year or two in at this point. But they're saying, no, we're good. I, I don't. I don't want to take the risk of going in there, even though I know I've got God with me. I would rather, I would rather stay out here. And so, you know, God's response was at first to just take out the whole assembly and start over with Moses. <laughs> Moses talked him out of that. <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not the first time. Not the first time. Remember the golden calf incident. Um, but, but God did make a decision here. He said, anybody who stands against going in the promised land, who saw God's miracles in Egypt, would not be able to go into the promised land and take part in it. He said, if you don't trust me by now, you're not going to trust me then, and that's not going to work. If you can see God's deliverance in Egypt and not trust him, you don't get to take part in the promised land. So the only people at this point who were adults and were going to make it in were Joshua and Caleb because they were the two who stood up. And I think at this point as well, this is going to change here in a minute, uh, spoiler alert, but Moses and Aaron would be included in this list as well of mm-hmm. people who would who would enter the promised land. But it, they specifically call it Caleb and Joshua because they were the two who went and scouted it out, came back and said, no, let's go. God's given it to us. But otherwise, everybody else was out. They were the only ones that truly trusted God and everybody else kept running in their own fear. Yeah, yeah. And so God told him, you're going to spend 40 years out here in the wilderness until everybody from that generation passes away, and we'll we'll start fresh after that. So as you can imagine, things were a little tense around camp after this, because now not only is everybody, they probably feel like they've had this promise of the promised land taken away, but on top of that, yeah, they're probably, well, let's put it this way. When things go south, 
the leader of the pack always gets blamed, right? And 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 as leaders, we know the buck stops with us, right? We've we have to take that ownership. Was no different here. Uh, there was a guy named Cora who was one of the Levites, one of the leaders of the Levites, and he gathered up about 250 prominent men, leaders among the Levites, and actually incited a rebellion against Moses. Uh, number 16:3 says they came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, "You have gone too far." Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So Aaron and Moses hear this, and they're pretty ticked off. I mean, again, go back to where all this started with them. Moses and Aaron were called by God specifically, went before Pharaoh, dealt with all of that, have been leading the assembly up to this point, and and now they're saying, Oh, you think we're not the ones who are called to lead? Because we were the ones who were called to lead. Uh, so they set up a challenge. They said, "Let's all bring incense as an offering before God and see who He chooses." Right? Let's let let's let God decide. Let's let God prove who the leaders are. So they all came together in front of the tent of meeting, which was part of the tabernacle that we talked about a while back, and they brought these fire pans, which I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it was something to offer incense to God. So I'm assuming it's like a little. Like a, like a little campfire pan sort of thing, something like that. But they used it to offer incense. And so as soon as they did, they had Korah and his 250, and they had Moses and Aaron. And uh, the presence of God showed up in front of all of them and told Moses and Aaron to get away from their community so he could take them all out. So again, pretty short time here. God's again saying, I'm, I'm done with these people. They're out of here. And I think it kind of proved whose side God was on. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. So Moses and Aaron, they're talking to him. They talk him down and he said, you know what? I'm only going to take out those who incited this rebellion, who came out against Aaron and Moses. And so Moses and Aaron go around. They say, tell everybody, get away from the houses of Korah and these 250 men because God's about to deal with them and you don't want to get caught up in it. And he said, you're going to know that God is with us and that God is against these people because they're not going to die a natural death. They're going to, they're going to be swallowed up by the earth. And sure enough, as soon as he got done saying that the earth opened up, all the homes of Korah and these 250 men fell in and the earth closed back up. Now I'm wondering, did Korah hear all of this? Did they came together in the front of the tent of meeting? Mm -hmm. God immediately showed up but it says told Moses and Aaron to get away from the community. I mm. wonder if Korah knew, and, and this is where I'm going with this. First, you've got Korah bringing together 250 men. Now God tells Moses and Aaron, I'm taking them out. Mm -hmm. If Korah didn't know this, now you've got Moses going around the camp saying, get away from him. Yeah. Get away from him. So that's just going to make him even more angry. Yeah. <laughs> so now, not only is he having to, Watch his back mm -hmm. while he's trying to help everybody else. You know he's got to be trying to get everybody else. Uh, you know, so it becomes a he said, she said kind of situation. <laughs> right. And who do they believe? Mm -hmm. So now how many more people were taken out mm. because of this mob right. <laughs> <laughs> that they're trying to put together? Right. Um, it's just uh, it's just all a jumbled mess that... that and, and, and Moses... You know, going back, God said, I'm taking them all out. We're yeah. talking almost a million people here. Uh, you know, 600,000 <laughs> men. 
Right. Plus women and children. Mm-hmm. The guy just said, no, I'm done. Mm-hmm. As we're going to read soon, Moses would have been better off um, if he had done that, but he fought for him still. Yeah. Of course, he didn't know he was going to be better off. We do, but. Yeah. Anyway, that was just, that was just interesting to, to try to kind of go deeper in that. Yeah, it, it does make you wonder what the conversation was. I mean, you know, Cora had these 250 men. Did everybody else just decide that dude is crazy? Yeah. Let, he's off his rocker. Or were other people kind of on the fence? And then when all this happened, they were like, I don't know. You know, it's interesting to think about, you know, if that same thing happened today, what would that look like? Yeah. Right. Well, and God isn't talking to us as directly today, unless mm-hmm. you're reading his word. Mm-hmm. But it kind of is happening today. If you think about all the separation that we've got going on. Yeah. With, you know, different um, religions, different political stances, mm-hmm. all of that. We've got a lot of a lot of people against other people. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a there's a lot of division right now and a lack of willing to come to a middle ground. And not necessarily I don't necessarily mean compromise, but but willing to at least agree to disagree on, on things and be hospitable and mm-hmm. you know, all of that with each other. It's it is. I mean, that's a good point. They're that. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like, right? Cora and his two hundred and fifty were like, "No, we're we're upending the chain of command here. We're done." They they weren't willing to have a conversation. They said, "No, we're done. We're we're going to take him out." Obviously, we know how that story ends, but that's the level of, I guess, frustration or pride um, and all of that that they had in that moment. We talked about it in Sunday school just just this last Sunday. Mm-hmm where we were talking about different churches and the way they vote on things. Yeah. And you've got people in the church that I just learned, I didn't even know this was a thing, that will vote against something just because they don't believe there should be a unanimous vote. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? (laughs) So you want to cause division just for the sake of causing division. Right. When everybody in the room could agree that whatever it is they're voting on is a great thing, Mm -hmm. but... Because of stubbornness, pride, <laughs> tradition, whatever that is, mm-hmm. I'm going to vote no just because. Yeah. Just because. Right. Just because. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. Just, just That's just what I'm going to do. It's, it's unfortunate <laughs> common sense isn't so common anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. After this rebellion, and, and Moses is clearly chosen as the leader, again, the, the ground just opens up underneath the homes of all of these people, right? So it's 250 men plus all of their families. So this is, I don't know, it could be a thousand people, right? Ground opens up underneath their homes and swallows back up over them. And and think about how crazy that must have been to see, one, to see it, right? It says they were swallowed up by Sheol is how the Bible puts it, um, which is interesting to think about Sheol being a uh, parallel to hell, right? That's one of the ways they talk about hell. But but it says it swallowed them up and, and everything kind of went back to normal. So not only did it happen to the 250 men and their families, but it didn't hit anybody else that we know of. And so it was very specific. Like it's uh, pretty incredible what just happened there. But it was a clear sign from God of, no, these men are wrong. Moses and Aaron are the guys that I have picked. And this is how we're moving forward. This is huge. Yeah. This is not just the earthquake crack in the ground kind of thing. <laughs> right. 250 homes. Mm-hmm. That's a subdivision. Right. <laughs> a small subdivision at yeah. that in yeah. a lot of places. 
that just uh, that is a huge sinkhole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just cannot imagine what that looked like, mm-hmm. and then for it to not hit anybody else. That that it was like they, um, thanks to Moses, it was like the Passover again. Right, right. It just took out those particular people. Yeah, get away from them. You don't want to get caught in what they're getting caught in. Right. <laughs> now, okay. hold on. There's something else though that I just thought of. So 250 homes, they're traveling, so we're talking tents. Mm-hmm. Were all of these tents next to each other? Like every one of them right mm. next to each other? Hmm. I don't know. Did God open up this big hole and swallow up 30 here? Another hole, 30 here, mm-hmm. 10 here. Uh, it's interesting to think about. It is. It is. For it to be so specific. You know, granted, it, this probably also means that people were listening to Moses and Aaron and getting away from those homes. But mm. But it wasn't just like... Hey, get away from that tent. Like, no, there's there there could be one over there and a couple over here and a couple over there. Like just if if they were in this group, stay away. Yeah. It's uh yeah. I'd I'd be curious to see a little replay of that. Like what <laughs> what did that look like? From a far <laughs> distance. <laughs> right, right. I want to be over there on Mount Sinai a long way away. I'm just gonna watch them. <laughs> yeah. So after this crazy event. The assembly gets back together. Moses and Aaron are the clear leaders and they start moving on and they're in the wilderness of Zen, but physical needs are still an issue. And so uh, they, at this point they had no water. And so there's more grumbling, more, Hey, we wish we were back in Egypt. At least we had water there. (laughs) So Moses went before God, God told him go to this rock. And there's a particular rock while the community was there watching and speak to it. And when you speak to it, water would pour out of the community and their livestock but Moses at this point, understandably a little bit is uh pretty frustrated with how things are going. He's got some, some angst, some irritation built up. And so they get the assembly together, but numbers 20, 10 through 11 says uh, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. You may look at this and say, okay, well, he basically did what God told him to do. He went to the rock, the rock that God told him and what, and, and he got water out. The problem is that out of his anger and his frustration, all of that, he decided to strike the rock instead of speak to it. Like God had told him to. And you, you see some of the attitude and some of the problem here in, in how he said it. Notice his question. He doesn't say, do you not trust God to bring water to you? Do you not trust God to take care of you? He says, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Somebody's getting prideful. Getting a little prideful, getting letting that frustration take over, right? And it's becoming about him and not about what God's doing. And so... After this, because of that, God told Moses that he would also not enter the promised land. Which, if you think about, I mean, Moses was an old man when they started the journey out of Egypt. I think he was in his 80s is what we figured out. And so he's older than that here. He's probably, you know, pushing 90 at this point. But I can't even imagine being Moses and and hearing those words, right? And saying, how did I mess this up? How did I miss out on this? Well, let's look at all that he's been through, you know. In, in getting these people, starting off with, with killing the Egyptian, mm-hmm. bringing everybody out, all of the miracles that God did along the way, mm-hmm. twice now, he stopped God from killing everybody. Right. And just being done. That's why it's just in today's episode. There were times before that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 
he has done every single thing God told him to do mm-hmm. up until this point. Yeah. And God said, nope, you're out. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You screwed up. Uh, it, it's gotta be heart wrenching. Just, yeah. just, you know, even when I read this and when I look at this, I try to remember, of course, God has his reasons for everything mm-hmm. and he's got everything set up perfectly, but that just seems unfair to me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, all these people were worshiping a, a calf, a golden right. calf, right? They're doubting God left and right, mm-hmm. complaining left and right. Moses gets angry and he's out. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. Maybe you can shed some light. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I think what it tells us, what it shows us is how high God's standard is. I mean, if you go back to how everything started at the creation, everything was perfect. A perfect communion with God, perfect relationship. And that's still the expectation. Um, that's still what God requires, but, but we fail, we fall short. Right. And, and Moses all along the way has what he struggled with up to this point is self doubt. Mm -hmm. Right. He said, who am I to go before Pharaoh? Who am I to go before the assembly? Who am I to do this? And, you know, God can work with a humble heart. He can, he can say, Hey, get off your tail and go, let's go. You know, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be the one speaking through you. And Moses bought into that plan and went forward. The shift that we see here is like you said, it's the pride shift, right? Where it becomes about Moses and it's not about what God's doing anymore. And I think that's, where the reason this is such a big deal is because Moses became about Moses instead of being about leading God's people and following God and leading God's people. Um, but, but th- I mean, this is, again, this is probably one of the biggest issues we have today where we have, we are all about us. Um, and what's going to be best for me? What's, you know, what's going to make me most comfortable? Like we were talking about earlier, what's going to make me, the most this, that, or the other of who I, who I want to be. And we forget about who God is. And thankfully we've got Jesus. So we can, when we fall, when we mess up, we're still called to live that way, but we've got Jesus sacrifice covering us. But so I guess that's a roundabout way of saying, I think this just shows how high God's standard is, especially for the leaders of, of the nation of Israel, that there, there is no sharing of glory here. That's, it's one or the other. And if you try to take that away, that's it. Well, and I wonder Using this just as an example, um, well, no, using this instance as a whole, his attitude of must we bring water out of this rock, I'm sure God knew, based on what you just, Mm -hmm. your your explanation was spot on, I think, because it helped me understand that the, the phrase is pride goeth before a fall. So if he's prideful now, and if he is taking this on himself to bring the water out of this rock, then once he gets a taste of that and he enters the promised land, how much more is he going to say, look what I did. Look what I, I brought you here. Make me your king. Make yeah. You know, that pride keeps building. And then God's ready to take him out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and it's, you know, it's funny how these old truths, it, just because we're having this conversation, this is biblical, right? Uh, it, in Proverbs 16, 18 it said pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. And so, you know, the funny thing is we all kind of, a 
everybody, whether you believe in the Bible or not, believe in Jesus or not. I mean, everybody knows that phrase. We, we all know that saying, but, and we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen so many times where when somebody starts to believe, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm me, mm-hmm. that, that that's what leads to their downfall. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately, that's what we're seeing here with Moses. Like you said, is does this moment, if God doesn't say that, does this moment start him on a trajectory that puts him in a in a very different camp when we look on him in Bible history, right? He's one of the fathers of the faith right now. If God handles this moment differently um, and allows that pride to continue, does that change his role in the nation of Israel? I don't know. Or does it change the nation of Israel as a whole? Right. And Do they ever make it in the promised land, right? You know, what, what happens? Yeah. yeah. Or, the pro- or they make it and things are going well, but then it just starts to fall. It just starts mm-hmm. to, the whole of, of Israel starts to degrade. And, and it's not, you know, God promised Israel to be his set apart people Mm -hmm. even today. Yeah. If it started out with that prideful leadership, would it be what it is today? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it just goes back to Romans 8, 28, right? Mm -hmm. God does everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. God knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. We might think it's unfair. But we don't know his reasons. We can't read his mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So shortly after this event happens, uh, Aaron actually passes away. And he hands over the uh, the robe and all the garments and the responsibility of the high priest to his son, Eleazar. And uh, kind of closes the chapter on the <laughs> the bad part of the wilderness and initiates the changing of the guard and leadership among the nation of Israel. So now we've got Eleazar and Moses. Right. Leading. Well, there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on here, man. That's really interesting. The way that all kind of unfolded. And I enjoyed uh, being able to kind of think that through with you because mm-hmm. there's a lot of that stuff that I hadn't considered. What was interesting to me and, in looking at this, and this is one of the things that's it's fun to do in this kind of setting is to take a macro view of all the different events and how they tie together. That's that's the point. That's why we're going through all of this in the in the chronological look is to see how the whole story ties together, and it's all God's story through history uh, through the history of the Bible. Yeah, and it all ends up pointing to Jesus. That's right, in one way or another. So, where are we at with this? How does this point to Jesus? So. God calls us to do big things sometimes. And like we've talked about before, outside of our comfort zone. Um, we saw that with the scouts who went to Canaan. Um, and we saw the the two different responses, right? There were a lot of them that walked away in fear. And all they saw was the problem in front of them. They couldn't see the opportunity in front of them because of the, the roadblocks that were in the way. But Joshua and Caleb trusted that if God brought them to it, he was going to bring them through it. Jesus gave us this encouragement in John sixteen thirty three. He said, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so as, as Christians today, um, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the Holy Spirit guides us and, and helps us to remember who God is, remember his power and his strength to guide us through life and help us to know where to go. The reason that we have the Bible, the reason that we have Jesus' words, and we've got the Holy Spirit in us, is so that we can keep going forward. God's going to call us to big things. He's going to call us to things that are uncomfortable, but we've got Christ with us. And so, encourage you not let the 
the giants, so to speak, um, or, or those roadblocks to get in the way of what God is calling you to, whatever it is that, you know, you feel like, okay, God's opened this door. I need to, you know, I feel like I should probably walk through it, go after it, trust him and see just how big God is. Um, because you know, ultimately that's what Jesus was all about, right? This story is a great parallel to the, uh, to the encouragement that Jesus gave us back then and that we've still got today. And be sure that you're prayerful about it, right? Yeah. You want to, you need to commune with God so that you can hear what he has to say about it. Mm-hmm. And not only is this, you know, I feel like God is leading me through this mm-hmm. or to this, but um, does it line up with what his word says? Yeah. You got to make sure that and pray about it. And, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit's going to tell you in some way or another, yes or no. Yeah. Or wait, those are the three answers he typically gives. Right. So make sure that when you're, when you're looking at those things that you don't try to push through on your own, mm-hmm. like Moses did and get prideful about it and think, eh, I don't need God. I've got this. No, we all need God. We need Jesus to help us. And we, we need the Holy spirit to guide us so that we don't stumble and make mistakes. Like we do all the time, Yeah. <laughs> but like we can see and learn from in the, in this story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. So what what's going on? Um, maybe not even elsewhere in the world this time, but mm-hmm. but what's going on that that we can extrapolate from this mm-hmm. story? So uh, Numbers thirteen twenty nine says the Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. Uh, the Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. And that was from the Scouts report. Back to Moses and the assembly. And this whole area is in Canaan, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I'll, to your point, all this is in the promised land that they're scouting out. And so just a little bit of uh, history and some fun facts about uh, these guys. The Amalekites, we talked about them before. If you go back to our episode on Exodus 15 through 18, when Moses was leading them in the wilderness, the Amalekites were typically a nomadic people um, who had actually already attacked the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, it looks like at this point that they kind of found their home base here in the land of Canaan. The Hethites, uh, they were also known as the Hittites. They were a group who their hub was more in modern day Turkey, north of Israel. But as their empire grew, it actually kind of grew south into the northern part of Israel, northern part of modern day Israel. Then you have the Jebusites. The Jebusites uh, were settled in the area around Jerusalem, which they called Jebus. And so that's that's where they got their name from, the Jebusites. Uh, but David later changed the name of this to Jerusalem, but they were kind of in and around that the area of Judea and Bethlehem, Jerusalem. They were kind of in that area. And then last but not least, the Amorites, uh, they were known for being prominent in Syria, Mesopotamia, and Palestine around this time. And eventually, it's believed that the Amorites and their kingdom led to the empire of Babylon that we see plays a pretty prominent role in history in general, but in the history of Israel. There'll be a thorn in their side down the road. So we've, in the past, talked about Babylon and the Mm -hmm. Tower of Babel. Um, So where does that fit into what we're talking about now when we say they established the later well-known empire of Babylon? So the Tower of Babel or Babylon, um, at that point, God scattered all the people away from there, right? And so um, there was, at, at that point, it was the, the like the city of Babylon, and there was a, um, I guess it was significant in that, uh, that was where the Tower of Babel was, but 
that I believe was in roughly the same place that the later Empire of Babylon ends up being. And so the Empire wasn't established at the Tower of Babel because God scattered them. But the Amorite clans eventually led to what we know as the Empire of Babylon later on. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Gotcha. Well, again, this has been a very interesting episode um, with some much deeper stuff in here than I thought there would be. (laughs) So I'm excited we got to talk through this. And that's going to do it for us. I know this is a little bit longer episode than usual, but there was a lot there. So next week, we're going to be talking donkey? What is that all about? (laughs) So we're going to finish up the book of Numbers with a story about a donkey. (laughs) And... And others, as we see Israel prepare to enter the promised land. So if you want to follow along, we're going through Numbers 21 through 36. And that'll complete Numbers before we move on to the next book. So y'all be sure to come back for that. And we'll see you next time. Matt, why don't you get us out of here? If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about today's episode, shoot us a note at info at simplifyjesus.com. We would love to hear from you. Just let us know what you think. Be sure to check us out on social media and keep up with the latest from Simplify Jesus. We like to hang out on Facebook and Twitter. Comment, like, share. Keep up with all the latest stuff we've got going on there. You can also keep up with the latest at www.simplifyjesus.com as we roll out new podcast episodes and we've got different things going on. That's where you'll be able to find that. And finally, if you're looking for uh, where to listen to this podcast, let us know if you can't find us. But you can always just ask Alexa. Just say, hey, Alexa, play the Simplify Jesus podcast and you'll find us there. And with that being said, you guys have a great week. Take care, everybody.